on today's episode of Android's Dungeon. You thought he was gone forever. But you were wrong. JJB's back in the studio. We're going to catch up on a couple things. Maybe talk about some games, maybe not. Don't tell me what to do. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. Uh, it's weird. I'm hearing some sort of echo. Do you hear that too? It's me. It's me. Oh, no. It's just the, the voices, the spirits. They've got me. Definitely an echo. Hopefully it doesn't show up on uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the our sound, listener. The sound irregularities never show up. <laughs> <laughs> to be we fair. We edit that out, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll just edit out. Well, if we had to edit out everything bad about the show, we wouldn't have much. We'd have like a minute, <laughs> two minutes <laughs> no, of the shadowy men. We do like that special editing where we um, mess with the sound waves and everything and remove uh, dirt. Yeah, really, really <laughs> remove dirt. <laughs> there would be nothing left of me if they covered <laughs> all the dirt. So it's not like scandalous dirt just like i'm a dirty person that's all it oh is. yeah uh i am jack well our, our producer will deal with it i'm joel yeah our producer <laughs> <laughs> it's well i can see them waving at me through the window somebody's gonna get fired for this sound quality i'm sure uh, hopefully it's me <laughs> Uh, this is Android Dungeon, a show about games, movies, music, whatever we feel like at the time. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram. If you search Android's Dungeon, you'll, it'll come up there. You can choose an email at uh, droiddungeonradio. Uh, I don't even, yeah, just droiddungeonradio at Check gmail.com. Check us out on anchor.fm. And anchor.fm if you want to. Bunch of other podcasts. Like, uh, we're on another one now. What's that one? Upcast, I think it's called. <clears throat> no, never heard of them. We get paid for all these, right? The, Rich. The, the clicks just keep coming and the dollars keep rolling. Uh, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Uh, I was thinking about it and really... Never a good um, start. Nothing much. It, it's kind of been... It's kind of... It, what's odd is that you'd think with the, the bad weather we've been having and the end of the season that it would be, it would be filled to the brim with games. But I think it's one of these pinches before spring starts that it's just a lot of events combine... And then there's, there's just no a time. Lot going on. Yeah. And I was on a trip, which is usually like prime gaming season. You know, like I go away on a trip, I do my work, and then I check into a hotel. And I check into a hotel every night, and usually the internet's pretty good, and that's the only thing to do. So I get on, I start gaming. But this time I brought my work laptop, and I brought my home laptop, and I was kind of like, mm, do I want to go through the effort of setting up my home laptop and then also getting the mouse out and putting it on a desk and everything? <laughs> so hold on, By stop, the time stop, I got stop, back, stop. You're saying the effort of opening your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just wasn't worth it, Jack. Okay. Uh, so I didn't. I just, uh, you know, uh, I played some sort of flash games. You remember addictinggames.com and these old... That, and the, when you were, whenever you had the, the the use of the computer lab in high school, yeah. <laughs> it'd be addictinggames.com that exactly. got loaded up. Um, computer business systems are one of those courses that you would take in university. You were always just had a little window on the side to it. <laughs> Tanks <laughs> or worms or something. Yeah. And, uh, there used to be back when, I think they should bring those back, to be honest. But there used to be something in some of these old ga- DOS games called the Boss Key. 
and it was usually like F11 or F12 or some like up in the corner so you're not hitting it by accident. And <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was designed for you to be playing the game at work, but if you hear the sound of your supervisor walking through the, the, the corridors, whatever, you just you mash it, and then it pulls up a phony DOS prompt where it looks like you're... T- oh, I'm, I'm just using <laughs> I think DOS. Windows actually labeled it the boss key, too. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, this was a similar situation. Not that I was worried about getting caught up. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't want to download a game onto my yeah, that's the big work thing. laptop, right? So so I started playing Cookie Clicker. Do you remember this game? No, I have no idea. Just like any other clicker game. If you've well, played well, hold on. Describe what a clicker game is. So a clicker it... game is a game that's just tedious and silly, and you just click. And you get stuff for clicking. But Joel, tell us why it's fun. So there's a picture of a giant cookie in the left side, and you click the cookie, and every time you click the cookie, you get a cookie. <laughs> the cookie is your currency, Jack. Once you get enough cookies, you can buy grandmas, and grandmas will make the cookies for you. You start making cookies per second instead of clicking for the cookies. Yeah, so and what, you, you don't have enough to play grandmas, the game. you start getting farms and mines and temples and portals that go to another world and bring back cookies. Wait, is that a real thing? <laughs> Uh, absolutely, yeah. but you have to be careful. Apparently, the friend told me that end game of Cookie Clicker <laughs> is that if you get too many grandmas, they open up a portal to hell. As grandmas are wont to do, you got to keep an eye on grandmas. And I've been noticing that my grandmas have started to get little witch hats and little brooms and outfits. So mm. they're starting to turn on me, Jack. Can you can you create can you hire Hansel and Gretel or two uh, similar looking children to shove grandmas into ovens? Yeah, you should be able to get some cookie security. Cookie security. <laughs> but you can get an alchemy lab, which is really funny because in this world, cookies are more valuable than gold. So instead of turning things into gold, you turn gold into cookies. All right. I'm, I'm going to withdraw some of my initial suspicion of this because as dumb as it sounds, it, it, at least it seems like there's a bit of sense of humor to it. And Oh, it's it's ridiculous and silly. It Did you ever play um, – I might butcher the title, but it's kind of similar to that. It's called um, – it's basically like Lollipop Farmer. No, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's another case, and the, the, it's an, almost a genre of games where it starts off as like a clicker where you have to, you click on something, and then you escalate to stuff being mined automatically, and you upgrade your mind so you don't have to keep clicking on it, and yep. you can, so it's a very similar concept, but this one's done all through ASCII graphics, and you're, it starts off like just looking strange, like, oh, there's this weird looking farmer guy just telling you to get more candy, friend, and then as it goes, it gets crazier and crazier, and you end up in this weird RPG world where you're buying equipment and you're moving through dungeons, and it makes <laughs> it makes zero sense, but there's an end game to it, but it's just an example of a game that starts off as like this pointless, that you can, you can see the minutes like draining from your face as you, as you mindlessly <laughs> tap up at this, but then it evolves into something bizarre on, with a, like, yeah. Frog Fractions, one of the most famous, like usurpations of it you think oh this is just a dumb edutainment game and then whoa what's going on (laughs) something weird happened here yeah yeah it's fun like flash is a perfect place for that kind of creativity where Mm -hmm. you don't have to put much work into making the game itself but you know you throw in some crazy achievements where oh i really want to get that achievement you know it's almost like the flash market has shriveled up i'd love to see newgrounds numbers because in I would put Newgrounds in the Web 1.0 days of um, 
users. I, I used to be really active on Newgrounds. I used to be one of those guys checking the new cutting content. edge. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say cutting edge, but I would be hitting F five on the stuff that was recently submitted. They had quality stuff, and you could you rank rank them. And if you gave something a zero, that was crap. And enough people else gave it zeros, it was blammed and it disappeared from the internet. It was like <laughs> deleted because it was garbage. And you got experience points for doing this. And conversely, if you gave a lot of things like fives or high, like basically it reward you for voting the way everyone else voted, you would assume they would vote and you would get more experience points and you would level up your character and your votes carried more weight too. <laughs> so you're saying that the game website itself was a game. It's it's almost that way, Joel, it's, which is really strange. So now I want to make a pseudo or made a game of <laughs> just the rating thing. It reminds me of this game we played for a bit with John Fatima yeah. where uh, it was called... Um, um, if you say something to do with Marvel, I'll just slap No, you. it was like one of those remind you to do things things. So you could set yourself daily tasks, weekly tasks, or one-time uh, tasks. I think I know. And if you accomplished your organization uh, yeah. attempts, you would basically level up an RPG character and get items. So it was like a, a, re- a real-life RPG for organizing. Yeah, I was trying to help you by making it fun. <laughs> How long did people play this game? Some did better than I did. (laughs) I was going to say others, but let's face it. It was me. I suck at organizing, and no no fun RPG organizer app will help me. I don't think it would work for me because, and I'll say this, I've started, I've gotten back on the Duolingo game. uh, game. Do you know what that is? It's for those who don't know. It's a um, it's a free application oh, sure. helps you learn a language, and the whole thing is it's split into different sections. And as you do it, you get lingots. It means nothing to me. The, the, so what are you learning? I'm learning Japanese. Going through it because nice. I didn't have it before. I started with German. In anticipation of the movie. Of tonight. course, we're seeing Isle of Dogs tonight, so I'm going to understand everything in the movie. Japanese, no subtitles. Turn off the subtitles. Don't need it. I'm fluent. Or at least fourteen percent fluent, according to Duolingo. I think oh, that's pretty good. Uh, but which it, it kind of gamifies it because it's me- you're meant to keep streaks, and it keeps track of every day you've um, in succession you've met your goal, and you can set your goal. You can just do it so that you only need to do one lesson a day, and that's fine. You can bump the two, two, three, four, or five lessons a day, which is considered to be insane, quote unquote. But it all depends on the difficulty of your lessons. So, like, the early, like, the simple vocabulary stuff or learning, let's say, with Japanese, learning the hiragana is very basic. It's just, like, what, after a while, you just fly through them. You can probably do three of them in five minutes. When it gets into the more complicated sentence building, it takes you a bit more time to, especially when you start to get, like, these gigantic strings of sentences and they're mixing in the kanji, which is the, that, those are the, the crazy-looking characters. Whoa! <laughs> and, uh, but going back to the reason why it's... It, I think it's a successful system is like we were saying with this app for like creating real life RPGs or whatnot is that it rewards you for accomplishing tasks and it kind of creates this, this niggling feeling in the back of your head. It's like, well, I got I to do my lesson or else I'll lose my streak. And you can also gamble. Or you get daily streaks. Yeah. Well, you oh. get like streaks, period. So you see people on there who have a 1400 day streak which means they've just been hammering and shows you what the languages they've been doing. And when you see something like, oh, they're level 28 in the language, that's a lot. That's that, pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty, but it, it's about, and you could argue it's shameless. Like, it, you know, in, in an MMO, if when you do that sort of stuff, I think it's cynical and it creates addiction. Whereas in this, I don't see it as bad because at least there's a, like you're learning you're something. You're learning language. <laughs> it's like, okay, I don't mind you creating this uh, um. desire. I can't remember because it's been a while since I did it because obviously I only did it for like four days and then never played again. Um, it gets you to talk into a mic, isn't that right? Uh, you can, yeah. So 
Kayla's doing French right now, so you'll hear her sometimes speaking in French off, uh, in the living room. It's short sentences. <laughs> short sentences, really basic stuff. Um, German did it too. I didn't have a cell phone that I could use Duolingo for a while, so I'm used to just doing everything on the computer, and I think it's faster that way. Um, but yeah, you there are parts where it activates the mic. I don't think Japanese supports it yet, so that's one of the reasons mm. why. But thank God. Oh, man. <laughs> That could be tough, yeah. yeah. But I recommend it. It's really, it's easy. That's the part. I'm not saying you're going to be walking out of there fluent in a week, but I think any language takes a lot of time, and depending on how much you put in is what you're going to get out. But at least you're, it feels vaguely productive in yeah. the sense that it's an everyday process. And when you do um, make a certain, and going back to just building a language properly or learning it, when you understand sort of the way things connect, there's this really satisfying uh, <laughs> sense of progression. So I like that they keep it interesting too. I remember when I was a kid, we had the Rosetta Stone CDs. Those are still around. They're so dry. They're the standard, really. It's like yeah. uh, if you want to learn a language, you got to use Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so boring, just dry. But like a lot of good content. Just it never kept them up, you know. Mm-hmm. And it gets into edutainment yep. too, because there was. I remember. I feel bad for this, and I apologize, to my parents. Uh, we were once at a chapters in Toronto. And uh, they used to sell software, believe it or not. They, they, maybe they still do in Indigo. Yeah. Even calling it chapters is outdated, but CDs. whatever. Uh, yeah, on CDs. And uh, there was this um, quote-unquote game there, which was how to learn French. And my French skills are terrible. Even growing up, there's, I'm bad at math, and I'm very bad at languages. And I think that it's probably linked to sort of logical connections between things that just... <laughs> it don't work in my head. So I tricked them. Tricked them. I told them this game that I thought looked fun would help me learn French better, <laughs> and it turned out to be an unfun game, so Jack dropped it pretty quickly, <laughs> and that's the end of the French, uh, but Math Blaster, I played a lot of Math Blaster. And, oh, Math Blaster Mysteries, quality. Yeah. All those, like, learning company games from uh, yeah. early 90s. I remember a kid, you went into a haunted house, and there was some <clears throat> evil scientist doing something you had to solve all these math equations to get to him. Well, there's, there's the castle yeah. of Dr. Brain. Yeah. Still in search of the esteemed Dr. Dabble, are we? What? I still remember the lines from the characters. Was that voiced? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <it's laughs> that was a Frankenstein. Interesting. And there was the, you had, so it was like you had, um, uh, Reading Rabbit was the big one, I think, yep. because it was a Canadian uh, piece of software. And I believe Dennis Leary, uh, not Dennis Leary, Kevin Leary, okay. Dennis Leary the comedian, Kevin Leary, <laughs> uh, the... I don't know, wannabe politician, businessman, dragonsman. He got big, I believe, because he worked for the company or owned the company that either developed it or sold uh, Reader's Rabbit, Reader Mm -hmm. Rabbit, Reading Rabbit, whatever, to all these public schools. So it was a fat, juicy contract, and you made a lot of money on that piece of software. Yeah, which it's crazy how that's really – you can either work really hard to sell your stuff or you can just – Get a government contract. And I mean, I, I don't know anyone who works in the government contract <laughs> business. I'm not <laughs> intimately connected in Except every aspect years, of my Jack. life. <laughs> ten more years. Um, but going to the edutainment side of stuff, if you can make a game and that, and it's weird, maybe I'm just out of touch because I'm not paying attention to what children are, are playing in their schools. But if you can make a game that is intriguing but also teaches you something simultaneously i think that's it it's a really remarkable thing to do and you don't have to be hitting people over the head with it because like think about all these historical simulators that people are playing or like crusader kings and whatnot how many i'm pretty sure people are 
sort of learning a bit of history through that. I heard like a lot of people pass their history test because of Age of Empires. Really? Yeah. Other people that were like, uh, you know, I went to university and I answered all the teachers' questions, and they were like, "How do you know this?" And I was like, <laughs> "Age of Empires, lol." Is that a Tumblr post you just read? Or yeah, probably a <laughs> <laughs> hundred of them. A hundred, and then Albert Einstein clapped because it was so well, whatever. I believe it. It's, it's there's so smart. There's some learning to it. I'm not saying you're walking out and you're like writing a 400-page book about medieval history, but and even things like um, and I think board games for a long time they had um, you could see some copies floating around in schools and you just would like avoid them, and keep an eye on them on the corner of your eye because like how what sort of boring uh, committee turd is this that just is designed to teach me something but isn't fun whatsoever funny you should mention it i was once a model for the for the <laughs> well, bo- stop stop that's for crazy the, for the okay. box of um, an educational board game yeah. how does this how did this never come up joel <laughs> we took photos of me and my sister like picking up pieces and moving them there <laughs> yeah i think it was on the cover i have no idea What's what it was i can't remember but i'll ask my mom maybe she'll remember she, you must have a copy of it at least yeah they gave they gave us a couple we never played i thought we it. could it pull it up on board game geek bad. <laughs> joel this is a remarkable development joel not only <laughs> loves board games but he was in a board game yeah yeah my future was all set out for me <laughs> <laughs> they were just priming me for these times, these last two years. There used to be a game that uh, our friends had called By Jove, and you can look it up on Board Game Geek, and it's got a terrible rating. And it was um, set around um, Hellenic, uh, ancient Greece, with all the mytho- mythological characters, and it was a roll-to-move turd. And you just move around this board, and uh, you, I don't even remember what you were trying to do, like set collection or just like get uh, visit certain spaces, and then after you have enough and pass go, you win. But hey. I had all these cards that I think, and it, but it, it was educational in the sense of if you it was a deeper than the average knowledge of Greek mythology. So there are things in there you'd be mm. looking at, and they're like, oh, okay. I could, that's interesting. Just like if you read the flavor text on the bottom of the card? Or, or, or even on the board itself. It's just very, very basic little thing. Borderline Monopoly-esque sort of movement. But hmm. but yeah, there was an educational element to it. But how did we get off on this? We were talking about Cookie Clicker. Cookie Clicker. Man, we went off on a tangent. It's, uh, Cookie Clicker is a good game. Check it out. It's not going to cost you anything. Where do you get it? Uh, you go to cookieclicker.net or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I told... Uh, my wife about it and you don't know if listeners don't know my wife's away in winnipeg um training to be a midwife and i told her about it and she says that sounds like the dumbest thing ever and she loaded it up <laughs> and i messaged her like two days later are you still playing cookie still, clicker still playing. and i'm not telling you <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's a great thing to run in the background, too. You know, you keep cashing in them cookies. There was another game, uh, before we get totally off that again, about there was, um, I don't know who made it, but this was back when the fr- Bitcoin or- was originally on its first sort of like, this is not this year, but uh, probably about five years ago, I think. And uh, some guy made a game, basically, that you were, you were pretending to be this enterprising miner. And the the joke is that you it would just followed all the news of uh game where you'd you would you just use your GPU and you only make like nothing coins, but then you save up enough money and you can try to buy uh, a better uh, miner 
and then you can try to buy a Butterfly Labs miner, but it never comes in, and you just keep getting emails saying the status of your uh, shipment, and then eventually you burn down your house and you're homeless, and uh, it turns into another weird post-apocalyptic RPG on you quickly. But it's just a cute game, again, in the vein of these clickers where you but it just goes off the rails quickly into because nobody really wants to play those sorts of games there's commentary to them you remember those games some we, this could go on forever remember the games remember where that there were hidden things and you had to click in certain spots and then like you would get achievements or things would happen there sort was no of indication that something would be kind of like yeah forget about it well let's pr- move on professor <laughs> layton, what you've been playing professor layton did you ever play any of those games uh what was one of them there were th- games on the nintendo ds and 3ds uh, uh, no really they're great games they're little puzzle games with this incredible art style uh, but it also has this hidden room sort of aspect to it because you move the styles around and there are certain objects that if you interact with something that looks sort of interesting you get these coins that fall out and you can use these coins for hints throughout Ooh. the game with some of the puzzles but if you ever get a chance also you pick up or give a shot to uh, some of the Professor Laytons because they are difficult. The puzzles are not easy, oh, yeah. and they'll actually test your brains. And if you don't cheat, like look, going for hints is fine, but if you just rush to the internet every time you get stuck, you're not going to have a good time. But um, great little puzzle games. Uh, what have I been playing recently? It's It's been dark, Joel. <laughs> uh, not much. I, I played Istanbul last night. Uh, I was reading about... Uh, people talking about Istanbul and it got me going and think, oh, I haven't played Istanbul in a long time. So uh, Kel and I played a round of it and it was extremely tight. It came down to one turn. I thought she had it. I went to the caravans or caravansary. I can never pronounce that pr- properly. Caravansary. Haberdashery. And I happened to have one of the cards that let me stay in a place twice. Ooh. And that's all it was that let me just go, I think it was at the Ruby dealer for two turns in a row. and was just mm. able to get it before she did. But That's funny because there's a card that lets you just do Ruby dealer. Well, and I threw it mean even better. Uh, yeah, and I threw it away because ah. I had to make a choice between moving three or four spaces because I was on the other side of the map. And I was thinking that might be more useful depending on where this is going. I didn't play a perfect game. Like there was one or two moves that I, th- I thought I screwed up. But in general... Um, it was just a very, again, a super quick. And when you're yeah. playing with two players, it is extremely tight. There's no no room for error. Yeah, the game is, yeah, if, if, once once everybody knows how to play, the game yeah. is crazy tight. And I think Istanbul is like this perfect balance between accessible and replayability where no matter how much of an expert you are or mm-hmm. how intense into it you are, you don't get tired of it. Yeah. And it's also because you have variable setups, too. So you can have the board that's shuffled, and you just follow simple rules, would not really cumbersome by any stretch. And then you add in the... There are two expansions for it, and that was another reason why I threw it out, because somebody was raving about the, the coffee expansion, and we've played it once, and I didn't mind it, but it was... I felt like I maybe I didn't have enough of a grasp of the base game, but after playing this one and kind of getting a refresher on it, I feel like... Next time we play, I'll definitely toss in the expansion because when you add in the mocha stuff or the uh, coffee and also the ability to put up a wall oh, yeah. between players, which basically doubles their turn if they're planning on going somewhere, it just adds a lot more variety and also six more tiles and it bumps up the player count too, which is crazy. Um, I'm not sure if that one or was Letters and Seals came with like the extra 
uh, like the cube merchant oh, that we that I don't even think we understood. I don't think we understood like, that instead one. Instead of moving two for yeah. yourself, you can move this guy one. Oh yeah, that's it, right? So you could move him back and forth, I suppose. Between yeah, it seemed odd to me. But you can, I guess, he's meant to be left in a corner, so you can leave him at hmm. some spot and then far away from you. Far away so from still you. Useful. Um, but it has occurred to me with with Istanbul, and it could just be the fact that I haven't. I, I think total, I've probably played about twelve times, but there's this issue of it being kind of pre-programmed where you can look at a map and you kind of can just map out every move you're going to make. And unless you're playing on a knife's edge with money where that you can't afford any disruption whatsoever in that, oh, if my opponent decides to go to this spot and I'm going there, I don't have the money for it. Or I do have the money, but it's going to throw off everything else. But if you don't worry about that necessarily... I think there's this problem where you don't even have to look at what your your person the other person's doing unless you want to break down what their strategy is and how much quicker they are going to get to the the gems that they need. Yeah, I agree. I think you can eventually or even in the mid game when you when you have a set goal decide your next 5 moves. Yeah. And then you're just waiting for your opponent to do their And moves. luckily the, mo- the game's pretty quick. I think which is funny is that I think that the slowest part about it is dealing with the dice chucking of moving the smuggler and yeah. the uh, the governor around because there are some rules for them too. So you, um, well, it's not as bad, but um, when you're playing with two player, you put two dummy pieces down too that are supposed, they start in the mosques and you have to re-roll for them too. So now you have two extra things you're chucking dice for. And I hmm. think the rule with them is they can't go to the fountain. So oftentimes you're chucking and it's like, oh, hit the fountain. Yeah. Hit the fountain. Oh, it just stays exactly where it is because it's already on like the most common number that's going to come up. But yeah, well, I think the one good like I wouldn't want to take out the uh, governor and the smuggler Mm-mm. because what you were saying about the game being pre pre programmed that's one thing that mitigates it is there is always that bonus incentive of the governor or the smuggler and if they're both on a spot maybe you want to just throw off your whole plan and just go do that because it's going to it's going to put you ahead get that jewel and maybe get a bonus card too mm-hmm. that really pushes you and i think that's where this guy that was talking about the expansion that got me originally wanting to play Istanbul was saying that the what the mocha expansion also adds is not only do you get the extra tiles about six tiles for the uh, various coffee related businesses uh, but also adds the guild cards and the way the guild cards work is that it, you sacrifice an entire turn to do whatever is on the guild card. But some of them are so crazy good that it's like, oh, I don't care. I, I, I will use this just to – I'm not going to move. I'm not going to pick something up. But I'm going to take yeah. this wicked bonus. And maybe it's a situation where somebody's on where you want to be. Yeah. Right? And then you're like, oh, well, I'll just wait a turn and do my guild. Well, exactly. Uh, I actually have that expansion. Mm-hmm. And I just – it's the, one of the only things in my collection that's still sealed. Time to unseal, Joel. Time to play. Time to play some Istanbul. Uh, so I think in total, I'd say, again, I've only played Letters and Seals once as well. I think it would take a lot more plays for me to really weigh in on it. But as it is, Istanbul base game is just very fun as it is. And then throwing in the Mocha stuff adds some more variation and throwing in the Letters and Seals add some more you might be worrying about diluting the entire experience at that point but i don't think it's anything critical or nothing where if you love the game probably just get the expansions just like anyone do you like scythe might as well get the expansions for it but it's did we talk about this the whether like joel and i were kind of talking a little bit earlier about expansions and whether if they fix a game the game is broken to begin with and i think it's an interesting subject because 
it, it, if an expansion, there was an argument online basically with people saying that if an expansion is needed to fix a game, the game itself is busted and I don't want to play it versus an expansion that enhances or changes a game, uh, which makes it essentially optional. But when an expansion is considered non-optional by the, the player base, it, it kind of opens up a can of worms. And what I if, think this came into, sorry to interrupt you, no, no. just with Star Wars Rebellion, how we were talking about last week, mm. not last week, a couple weeks ago, about how the expansion basically fixes combat, which was the number one complaint by a lot of people who played the original uh, Star Wars Rebellion. So does it make it necessary? I don't know. I think with, with, with the way games are right now, when they're popular, the designers get involved. And you've seen this with Scythe and you've seen this with Gloomhaven where <clears> the designers... <throat> Isaac Asimov, is it? Asimov? Yeah, Asimov. <laughs> the <laughs> science fiction writer? <laughs> Childress. Isaac, Isaac Childress and uh, Jamie uh, Stonemeyer? Uh, St- Sigmeyer. Sigmeyer. Um, participate and answer, and they create frequently asked questions and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But also, they're releasing expansions, but I've also seen, and maybe this is just something that people used to do, but when there were things, there were problems with the game they would release a new version. They would fix it in the next version. And mm-hmm. the two things I'm thinking of, maybe there weren't any problems with Civilization, but when we play Advanced Civilization, that's a second version, which mm-hmm. is basically, it's an expanded version, but maybe they fixed some bugs that they found in Civ. And then the other thing I think of where all of the expansions and all the content of the expansions is already in there, Twilight Imperium 4, I was just right? thinking of Twilight Imperium the entire time you were talking because it's, it's yeah. a good example of four iterations of the game since the, I don't know, like late 80s, early 90s or whatever. And it took them to the fourth time for people to say this is the definitive one, like even three, two expansions for it. And, and for the fourth one, they took, again, p- bits and pieces of the expansions, the stuff people really liked, and tossed in all the races and I think added some more and also balanced some stuff. But all that time, again, it, would you, again... If it takes you four editions of a game to make it good, yeah, good quote unquote good. But that's the thing. Like if you want, you got five friends and you want to play Agricola. Do you want to buy uh, the four player version and the two player expansion, or would you rather get a six player version or would something you, else? Like but it's that. another can of worms because with the newest edition of Agricola, I think they changed some things around. Like they, it's not the same as the base Agricola that you would have bought back when you needed the expansions. Yeah. And I think, does it does, does the new one add, like, Farmers of the Moor content or certain things from there? Or I, I don't even... Well, there's tons of... There are these all these card-based yeah. expansions where yeah. you can get a new deck yeah. of occupations and minor improvements. Because you were so bored by all the... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't uh, hard enough. Yeah. You had to add more options. Which is why there's the family version in Agricola where you just play without the cards. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're playing for real, you add the cards and then you just sit there scratching your head and every It's just this whole long period at the beginning where people are just, uh, Actually, how do I make this? You get 14 cards at the start of the game. Oh, it's atrocious. Oh, I forgot how many cards you got. You get seven occupations and seven minor improvements. I'm glad you brought up Agricola because this sounds like I'm just regurgitating arguments from the internet, but it came up today that there was issues. One guy was talking about drafting in a game, and it was brought up in the same vein as auctions and how people hate auctions and hate drafting. I'm a huge fan of auctions, but I knew why they were complaining about them, and it was the same reason as drafts is because um, it, it throws off balancing, and if you're inexperienced, it can really throw off balancing. 
And the case in point being, let's say three players are playing, uh, first player's experience, second player inexperience, and third player's experience. When you're all drafting with each other, the third and the first player are drafting properly. The middle player doesn't know what's good and what's bad. So the middle player can send, give an advantage to the third player just through, through inexperience. But I was confused because I just felt the same way that it's any game playing with an inexperienced person yeah that really revolves around what's being given to other players whether it's a space on the board or yeah. it's a card or what the same thing could happen in one of the more intense games like ti4 or civ is like having a neighbor who's inexperienced either they're they're a wild card they're yeah. either gonna uh, attack you because they think they have to yeah. or they're going to do everything you tell them to because you know you trick them impressionable. yeah yeah and that's exactly it. It, it and i found it was difficult to draw a line between Drafting in particular being particularly bad for an inexperienced person versus any other game that requires somebody to know what they're doing, know what the value of their action is. So like in a worker placement, taking this spot, let's play you're playing viticulture against people who don't know what they're doing. And somebody just goes on to the fulfill order spot when you were, you're just staring at them like, oh, I needed the fulfill it order. Yeah. No room. Or maybe, and you didn't have an El Grande or whatever to mimic it or whatever. But it's just this sort of this wild card element that I Absolutely. think you have to just play around. But what else, what are you, you going to do? Yeah. And what are you going to just stop playing with inexperienced people? Because then you're not <laughs> sharing the love of the game. <laughs> You have just you, make sure that they only play. They have to learn the game before they play with you. You can have a newbie game and an experienced game. They yeah. did that with Twilight. Um, did they really? Have you ever played? Yeah, well, when we had sixteen players, you know, split off into two games. I forgot they made one anyway. with pros and one with what? poor old uh, Alex, <laughs> who got uh, sat next to the guy and his girlfriend. Oh, and, that wouldn't attack each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great alliance. Have, have you played any games? I can, I can think of <clears> two where the game is purely drafting. Pure drafting. I'm thinking of Fairy Tale and Choreo, which I, I don't know if you remember, but I tried to teach a Choreo online. It's a Korean game. Yeah, I didn't get you that at all. Get guys, and then yeah. the guys get you stuff. No, I, I didn't understand that. I'd say beyond uh, something like um, <sighs> Sushi Go! Sushi Go! That is definitely pure drafting. Yeah. But beyond that. And uh, Seven Wonders is, is for almost entirely a drafting. Yeah, game. that's a good point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. Draft uh, things, get things. Innis is the only one I can think of off the top of my head that does drafts in a certain way that um, it's the, – the description I heard was consequence-free drafting in the sense of you take a card, but you're free to cough that up next time in the draft, like next time you get cards. Like huh. you can put it back into the pile. So you can almost – I don't know if – are you familiar with the term hate drafting? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you can you can hate draft and freak somebody out. And only for that card to appear later, and maybe they took something else out. And Innis is just a wild, wild game that uh, doesn't get enough appreciation, but I think it's so dense. And going back to um, the idea of inexperience, I think some games are far, far more vulnerable to um, inexperience and sinking you from the get-go versus others where you can kind of swing back or maybe fate comes in your, your favor. In some games, you're just you're dead if you don't know what you're doing. When you talk about hate drafting, that reminds me of that. Remember when we did that terms for people that don't know games and we talked about hate buying? Hate buying, yeah, that's yeah. the exact same. Do you want to explain hate drafting, Joel? DC is all about hate buying, especially <laughs> in 1v1. Because if you're in 1v1 and somebody's going for well, you can a see what they're doing. power bill, so they're getting uh, something like a Starfire, which is like plus two and then additional plus one for every power card. 
in your discard pile. Mm-hmm. And a Starfire comes up. They've already built their entire deck around it. You buy that, they're neutralized, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, hate hate anything is doing an action that not necessarily benefits you, but um, let's say you've got all the clay in the world you want and you're in Agricola and you go pick up three clay because, you know, the person next to you desperately needs to renovate yeah. their house. There you go. It's a perfect example. It's like yeah. something doesn't benefit you directly or very much. So your benefit is like, mm, but the kick in the rear for your opponents, ah, it, it's far, far worse. I can remember one of the worst ones was in Catan with roads. People building roads to block off other people. Because then you're just next, next the level. The game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just, you're not getting anywhere. Well, especially if guys start to like, not necessarily team up specifically, but you can oh. see a road coming this way and you're like, oh, all right, <laughs> I'll just finish it off here and then work my way down here. Forget about newbies giving unfair advantages. Alliances. That's what I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's team up on Joel. He's good at this game. Well, it's, it's <laughs> It depends what sort of alliance it is. It's if it's a game like Istanbul, I don't even know how you're supposed to. Well, you can't make an alliance unless you're you're like, Not okay, really do you want to sit here occupying this space? Or I don't know. What, <laughs> but other things, I think, you rely around temporary alliances of like everyone just stopping knifing each other for a second as somebody's sneaking out the door with a bag of money and be like let's get that guy for a second and then stop what they're doing after the money is back in the center and start fighting each other for it. It's it's. Sounds like cash and guns. Cash and guns. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to take a musical break. We'll be back in a moment. I called this number three times already today, but I I got scared. I put it back in place. I put my phone back in place. I still don't know if I should have called up. Look. Just tell me, why don't you, if I'm out of place. Cause here's your chance to make me feel awkward and wish that I had never even called up this place. I saw you though today, walk by with hippie Johnny. I had to call up and say how I wanna take his place. So this phone call today concerns Hippie Johnny. He's always stoned. He's never straight. I saw you today, you know, walk by with Hippie Johnny. Look, I had to call up and say I wanna take his place See, he's stoned Hippie Johnny Now get this, I'm straight And I want to take his place Now, look, I like him too I like Hippie Johnny But I'm straight and I want to take his... I said, I'm straight. I said, I'm straight. I'm proud to say. Well, I... 
them straight And I want to take his place Now I've watched you Walk around here I've watched you meet Boyfriends, I know And you tell me how they're deep Look, but I think if these guys If they're really so great Tell me why can't they At least take this place And take it straight Why always stoned Like hippie Johnny's I'm straight And I want To take his place I'm certainly not stoned Like hippie Johnny is I'm straight I, And I want To take his place I said I'm straight I said I'm straight Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was, I'm straight! Probably the Modern Lovers uh, from the album, the original Modern Modern Lovers, 1981. What a good year. What do you think he meant by I'm straight? Uh, I think he meant that uh, it's a song that's deeply rooted in um, geometry. And it's all about the perfect line. That yeah. just goes right between two objects. Doesn't like Hippie Johnny. Hippie Johnny? Yeah, the whole... Is that the lyric? He's wa- she's walking around with Hippie Johnny, and he wants to take his place, because he's straight. Yeah. Well, those lousy hippies, it's, yeah. he'll eventually push her away with his poor hygiene. Known and... to have obtuse angles. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's obtuse? What's the... It's greater than 90 degrees. Greater than 90 degrees, and... Uh, Acute is yeah. uh, sh- there. We go. I, you think of acute, it's a small one. Aw, chibi. Oh, <laughs> chibi. oh, well, is that some Japanese? Ultra koi. Perfect. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's 22% fluent. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gone up uh, a little bit while I've been on the air. Uh, yeah, Modern Lovers. The I know them from the, the Repo Man soundtrack. Do you ever see Repo Man? Nope. <laughs> no. No. Uh, Repo Man is a, I forget what year it came out, it's in the uh, mid-80s and stars Emilio Estevez as a, can you believe it, a Repo Man. Uh, and it's uh, he, it's set in L.A., I believe, and it's got this really bizarre vibe. Uh, I forget the director off the top of my head, Alex something. And uh, it, it's um, it, it's almost a science fiction movie, and it's got this apocalyptic feel to the entire thing. 
really strange f- uh, movie, but it's got this incredible soundtrack of a mix of punk music and like what would you call a modern lovers? Would you call it post punk? Mm, I'm sure they've got a genre all to themselves. <laughs> well, because the one in the song is Pablo Picasso, or one in the uh, on the album is Pablo Picasso, the one that everyone's probably heard. Yeah, uh, great track anyway. But that Modern Lovers, Joel's choice, good song. So, yeah. So Joel, what were you? You had something you want to talk about? Yeah, I'm excited. I got some. Uh, I don't know if it's not news to anybody but me, but uh, um, the trip season is upon us, which is where I drive around or fly around to various parts of the world and set up computers it's it's a blast and when i go usually i'm on my own sitting in hotels like i said eating pre-ordered pizza or whatever and uh, <laughs> hanging out co- clicking cookies <laughs> but when i'm lucky enough and i got really lucky last spring i met some really cool people i i was at a hotel and just down the road was a comic shop and i went and checked it out to see if i could buy a game for me and sam you know bring her back a present and lo and behold, there are a whole bunch of people sitting in the back playing some random game, which I knew, you know. And I was just, hey, what's going on here? Oh, oh just there's just always people here playing games. It's like, oh, oh, so I pay you? No, you just sit down, you play some games. It's this crazy concept called uh, <laughs> called playing games. <laughs> and your friendly local game store. Yeah. Anyway, so they're always there hanging out. And then on top of that, they have two... Uh, weekly meetouts. So shout out to Dan Flamin over in Saskatoon. I I sent him a line. I still had him in my phone. I just scrolling down till I found the one from last spring, and uh, I sent him a sent him a text about a couple hours ago saying, "Hey, what's going on with you guys?" And uh, sure enough, me and Seth fly in on Monday around two. Seth and I. Seth and I. Seth is one of our dedicated podcast listeners, by the way. Great guy. Shout out to Seth. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Certified. We gave him a badge. He he was on the show, too, in two different forums, I think. Oh, yeah. Maybe three. And and those were actually our most popular episodes, I'm sure, because he always um, plugs us. Which is great. You know, you really appreciate when other people shill you as opposed to you just (laughs) doing it yourself. So the least you can do after us being so kind is to take up our... So generous. Valuable time and put you on the show. No, no they're always My time is invaluable. And they mix it up from just listening to us ramble about this and that. But anyway, going back to Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, trying to get back on track here. Uh, flying in Tuesday, 2 o'clock, we're going to hit up that delicious Brazilian all-you-can-eat barbecue. Was this the one you were talking about a while ago? Mm-hmm. They cut chunks of hot with meat a sword. off of a, uh, yeah, off a skewer with a sword. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, they're called gauchos. These people walk around. And, and is this like um, it's all you can eat? Like you sit down and that's... Yeah, they just keep bringing it. And you have like a little wooden block on your table. And oh, if you yeah. keep it green, they'll keep approaching you with meat. You turn it red, that means it's like, yeah, I need a mint. Well, that's what they should... I don't, when was the last time you did a warm vacation? Uh, 2013, I think, my sister's wedding. Okay, so at your sister's wedding, where was it? Tulum, just uh, oh. about an hour south of Kankan. All right, quick, quick aside. <laughs> On the weekend, I was watching uh, some TV at Kel's parents' place, and it was a show called, I think, Mexico Property Hunters, which yeah. which sounds like a parody because <laughs> you can make some good jokes about <laughs> that. Uh, but this one is a bunch of rich white people who are in Mexico, and they want to buy property. 
and they go around to all these gorgeous <laughs> locations that are so inexpensive that you think, how could they? This is, I want to go to Mexico. Is it where they're humming and hawing about like one hundred and twenty thousand? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, this one's above budget by sixty thousand, but it's awfully nice. And it's like, okay, it, 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 he's not wrong. 60, he's not wrong. Uh, but you end up they're these, so they're showing all these places. One of them was in Tulum, and uh, and it just reminded me of how gorgeous Mexico is. And <sighs> just there, there was this one property before I go completely off the rails. Here it was like they were complaining it was too secluded, uh, which you, I could imagine that if you had to go like bushwhack your way through the jungle but it was like oh no i had to drive my car for five minutes down a dirt road it's distance it, to the beach distance to the question. beach but it was this, it was like this this is almost like this this almost mansion in the in the deep in the jungle that had its own lovely pool in this courtyard and all these rooms that all went around and it just seemed like it, it looked so lovely and the, <laughs> but that it was too secluded for them i would love jack to see uh, Guelph property hunters where they take the same people from that show and they give them the exact same budgets and they bring them here and they're like okay how much you have oh $220,000 well let me take you to this here's a shack off the handling <laughs> and I'm already there All right. <laughs> what are you, doing? you never said there were rival bidders anyway that was Mexico property Tulum gorgeous place I'd live there <laughs> Eventually, uh, I'll get to the people. Oh, no, I, now I remember. So, because at, at resorts, that's something that they, they, that's I, where you have like a flag or something or a block that you, if you want the server to come by and bring you a drink or like ask you for your order, you send up the flag. And oh, supposedly, they're supposed to um, adhere to this, even though when I was in Mexico uh, two years ago or just a year ago, I can't recall. Uh, you could you could run that flag up all day. <laughs> you, yeah. It doesn't matter. You are walking up to the when cabana. When are you taking it down, really? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Joel, sorry. Uh, and then we're going to go meet at Amigos, which is a bar, which is like I think I told you, Amigos <clears> Cantina, <throat> they just shut it down. And, and <laughs> the gamers take over. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about like a health code violation. <laughs> no, well, no. the gamers are a health code violation. But... Yeah, probably when they're there. But uh, yeah, it's really cool that uh, a venue like that because you were, you were talking about how maybe they're you know going to be cheap and they they're not going to tip well or whatever, and they're yeah. taking they're there for so long. Yeah. is the thing. Uh, but I think they've established a good relationship with this place where Thursday or Monday nights. It's who, dead. Who needs a Monday night? It's dead. I don't think anyone would be complaining. I'm pretty sure if you went to, depending on how busy a place is, that's the issue. If they are, if they never have problems filling seats, I think you'd run into some trouble. But if you show up on a quiet time, I think anyone's perfectly happy to have you there. You mind your own business. You buy a couple of drinks here and there. Maybe get a plate of nachos. If you think about it, what about teams? All these sports teams that all like these oh, places yeah. are trying to get to come in. The whole principle is like we'll we'll lure you. Give we'll you give free you free stuff. We'll give you free stuff because we think you are going to be ordering drinks. But how many of these teams show up, get like a pitcher between, I don't know, maybe two pitchers between them, and then just eat their nachos and leave? Yep. It's I don't see that any different than having a bunch of nerds sitting around doing whatever for extended periods of time, but keeping to themselves. Yeah. Great patrons. Anyway, it's a good group of guys. I, I think it was, when I was there, it was around 20 people, and I kind of cycled through. I got to know quite a few of them. Really nice people. They actually taught me King Domino, and that was when I came oh. back uh, with, like, King Domino's so good, and uh, yeah. I think we all bought it. Yeah. <laughs> you guys thought it was all right. 
Uh, it's it just doesn't work in Sam two Sam goes crazy for it. She teaches it to everybody, and we have Queen Domino, now, yeah. which is the next version. Now, how does Queen Domino work with two players? Is it still a dummy player, or does it just do pure? Uh, yeah, you got to throw it. Uh... Or dummy player, or is it you play two instead of one? Yeah, you you each have the two chits, and so you, you occupy two of them at a time. Yeah. I, Which is kind of weird because normally in the real game you get an opportunity to at least see every type, whereas mm-hmm. this throws some RNG in where, say, only maybe only six plain tiles will end up showing up mm-hmm. because half of the tiles don't get seen. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So you could theoretically be building towards something, or like you see a couple right away and you're like, ah, oh, this is my meal ticket. Exactly. <laughs> and then... if you know it's in the game, and you're disappointed because it never comes. Is there any technology that lets you fish for a tile from the box? or is it No. A, mm. But I thought, because when I played two-player, I, I played it this way, where I thought it would be better if you just um, threw, threw the other two tiles back into the pile. And eventually they'll come back in. Hmm. Oh, get, no, sorry. You throw the other two tiles out. So you each pick one, yeah. throw the other two out. They don't get played. That way you each get exactly enough for a five-by-five. And um, and you also know you, what's there. You too. reject those things that you, you didn't need. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's weird. You were talking about that, but it made me think about this. And we don't have too much time left, but I'm just curious about your thoughts on going back to Twilight Imperium again. One of the setups, um, and it also another victim of inexperience and hate drafting in a sense. But when you set up the game, you sort of draft for planets, and you build up the galaxy, and you can either do a pre-built galaxy, or you can do what the game is meant to be done, is that you lay out the tiles in such a way that you, you start with the outer row, and then you work your way in, and uh, I just can't recall exactly, but the bottom line is that you're building where everything's going to be, so you want to put good stuff around you and bad stuff next to other people. Oh, yeah. Um, how do you feel about the pre-built galaxy versus the, the drafting galaxy? I remember it's very similar to Twilight Imperium, you know, where you get all of the planet tiles at the beginning, and obviously you're going to put the the double planet right next to you, and then you're going to throw the wormhole or whatever it is you've got mm-hmm. next to whoever's, uh, you know, most threatening to you. Yeah, uh, I think it's cool. I think I think I like the the customization of a game where instead of it being pre-built, and pre-built is great when you're learning. Mm-hmm. Especially, I'm thinking of um, the Star Wars Rebellion pre-built that we, yeah. that I told you about last week. Um, but I think once you're ready to play, things like Istanbul and other ones, you want it either to be randomized or you to have individuals pick. Yeah, and the even it's a nice way for designers even to put in like suggested setup for first times. And I think it's almost a basic function of game design is to, when you're teaching it, to have a board that's set up in a certain way, or at least have the newbie side and the and the uh, expert side. Like via Nebula, you can either play recommends doing the one side first, just so you know what you're doing, and because the next one up, when you actually play the game enough, is like, well, this actually this is a step up, and it would be yeah. kind of overwhelming for some of the beginning, but I feel like we, we just keep constantly going back to the idea of inexperience and how to get better at games in an organic way versus just because I think there's a difference between being crushed wholeheartedly and you don't learn anything uh, versus something where you're like, oh, I could do better than this. Kind of like how I hope some people felt after Megasiv. <laughs> well, I think, you know, maybe they didn't think about that back in the day because I think of something like Flat Top or one of these <laughs> Axis and Allies, one of yeah, these yeah. board games where it's yeah. just like, no, you got to be an expert walking right in. Right? Yeah. Um, an accessibility 
is the reason why games have gotten so big. Mm-hmm. So you got to factor that in. And it goes beyond just like rule accessibility, like even things, because Kale and I were talking about this last week, I think about colorblind um, components and other things mm. where you're starting to get into, I've never seen Braille cards, although mm. I, how long before that comes out? Not that it's, although I guess it would be extra expensive for that extra punching, but just sort of little things about actual accessible nature of the cards, making font sizes, certain t- uh, sizes as well. So you're not just like, like even like something like Gloomhaven, when you're looking at some of these cards, I'm kind of straining my eyes a little bit. My right. vision's not terrible, but it's like I don't know what the color scheme of these. Well, one thing we came across actually, a friend of mine back home is sort of half going blind, uh-huh. um, and he couldn't play just about every game we had. We had really? to find a game that was like visual enough and didn't have any reading. Huh. You know. So like anything with like text was not going to work. Yeah, exactly. We tried to play DC and it was just oh jeez. <laughs> Well, what about something? Did you Concordia? Would that work? I think we played. Um, what we did was we played code names, uh-huh. and he took a photo of the. Oh, that's the right! You're telling about this. Zoomed way in <laughs> on each word so that he could know which one was. Did it work? Yeah, I mean, it's probably tough for him. But, yeah, yeah. You know, at least he was able to participate. Couldn't he be slightly cruel to a man who's going? You're <laughs> going blind. Yeah. Here's a bunch of words. Um, there's, I know there's a game somebody was talking about that uh, has replaced code names for them called Decrypto, and I think it's up for uh, pre-release on Board Game Bliss, but it's another inexpensive uh, sort of word-based game, yeah. but uh, something to keep an eye on, because I think, it, depending on how popular it gets, could be one of these sort of uh, staples in, in parties. Well, I hope so. It's nice to... I love code names, don't get me wrong, but it'd be nice to see... Something different sometimes. It kind of scratches the same itch. Where words may be doing that. Time's running out. All right, before we go, I just want to say one quick thing. Dan Flaming, back in Saskatchewan. I asked him, uh, you know, to get with the times. Have you been playing Gloomhaven? Yeah. See what's going on in Saskatoon. We might be able to get him on the show, but. uh, Yeah, we'll give him a call. uh, He says, I know many folks who are. It's not one I have simply. uh, It's not one I have simply because I play D&D instead. Ooh, shots. Shots fired. Pew, pew, pew. I play the real fantasy. Wow, what what edition of D&D does he play? <laughs> yeah, 3.5. Get out of here. AD&D. Uh, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned CFRU. 93.3 FM. I'm Thomas King, and you're listening to CFRU 93.3 on your FM dial. 
The first year was such a success, and now the Royal City Uke Fest is back for a second. Get set for a full day of dynamic workshops, a big mass ukulele strum, cool vendors, and an evening concert of sweet ukulele sounds to top it off. This year, Royal City Uke Fest is thrilled to welcome, all the way from California, internationally renowned ukulele duo Sarah Maisel and Craig Chi. They will bring their jazz and island sounds to the stage as the evening's headliners. Opening act features Michigan Darlings, The Springtails, who swing and vaudevillian styles will woo your hearts. It's going to be a whole bunch of goodness this year at Harcourt Memorial United Church, 87 Dean Avenue, a physically accessible location on Saturday, September 29th. Early bird tickets on sale April 1st, and regular prices kick in on May 1st. This event sold out last year, so don't delay. Visit RoyalCityUkeFest.com for all the details. Hope to see you there. Every Wednesday morning, here on CFRU, the stillness and the dancing brings you sounds local to global. Dubbed the best show to stay in bed for, the stillness and the dancing has you searching for